Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit FightRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is A. Darius Kamali, and we'll be talking about his life work as well as his two new books, Mistake of Identity and Dog Listen Dixie Past the Graveyard. With two decades of Hollywood, television documentary, and feature animation producing, Darius Molly is now expanding into publishing as the creative author of two timely and thought-provocative books, Mistake of Identity and Dog Wisdom Dixie Passages Art. He explores the impact and role of identity in groupism, identity politics, political correctness, and individual spirituality. Darius is a one-time human rights activist and documentarian, brings a unique multicultural, multi-ethnic, and multinational background to his work and informed perspectives. In 2020, with the time uh, provided by the global pandemic, Darius published his first book of poetry, Dog Whistling Dixie Past the Graveyard and long-stay history-related podcast called The Persian Virgin on Anchor. He followed up that in 2021 with Mistakes of Identity, a genre-bending book of philosophy, political music. Separately, Darius is currently editing the manuscript for his first novel, A Mytho-Philosophical Fantasy for Children of All Ages, entitled The Still Life and the Moving Picture and the Distance Between. For more information, you can visit Darius's website, which is DariusAKamali.com, and that's D-A-R-I-U-S-A-K-A-M-A-L-I.com. Okay, so I'd like to welcome Darius to the show. Good day, Darius. Hello. How are Hello. you? I'm doing well. Thanks for, for joining me today. Um, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, there are many facets to what you do, <laughs> so I don't want to cover as many as we can. <laughs> um, I, I want to start with um, your package. Yeah, let, let's um, just say I, I wear a lot of hats. So. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> you do, and all well. So I mean, but it's you know, it's it's interesting to to um, hear about those different hats and, and kind of what maybe the thread is between them or how how they unfolded. But let's start first with the background. Um, your back, you have a background um, in human rights advocacy. Um, so can you tell us um, how that began? How what now? What garnered your interest in that topic? Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, my interest has always been there since childhood, really. And but uh, you know, professionally, it began with uh, an organization called uh, IMI, the International Monetary Institute, based uh, both in LA and DC. And uh, it was um, both a human rights organization or NGO, you could call it, a non-governmental organization. But uh, actually, it was also at one point began to get funding from the government. So. It became a governmental, non-governmental organization. But uh, it, it was the visual evidence wing for a number of uh, criminal tribunals, uh, one for the former Yugoslavia, one for Rwanda, if you remember the genocide that was going on there, and then later for uh, Saddam Hussein and the Basque regime as well. Um, and I was an analyst there. I was promoted to project manager there. So, you know, that was my... Um, introduction to the world of of 
uh, human rights and, and, and becoming acquainted on an intimate level with basically everything bad in the world, you know, uh, from uh, ethnic cleansing to genocide to, to um, uh, war crimes, crimes against humanity. And um, so it really, you know, um, you, you shed all your illusions <laughs> as, as a green, uh, yeah. I was in my 20s at the time, so. And, and of course, I worked for, uh, uh, with a couple of other organizations, too, in that uh, realm, uh, Human Rights Watch and and uh, and uh, the Museum of Tolerance, uh, San Luisenthal Center here in L.A. Uh, and so that was my that was my human rights um, work. Now it transitioned uh, because when I was at IMI, a lot of uh, filmmakers would come to us looking for particular pieces of uh, visual evidence, either a documentary or photograph. Of some sort of uh, artifact for their documentaries related to these topics. And so I ended up uh, sort of working with them and fell into the documentary side of things. And that's what transitioned me gradually first into sort of human rights-related documentaries, one about child soldiers and so on and so forth. And then uh, gradually, as my role grew, I found that the nature of the documentaries also changed. They became more and more commercial, you could say, you know. Um, and mm -hmm. so it went from, you know, the first one being about the history of the CIA to suddenly now it's secret passages and things like that on History Channel. And um, and I don't know if you want me to go on to the film side yet, but that, that kind of covers the, yeah, yeah, the human rights no, aspect. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's great. That's great. Sure, and, okay. You know, and I yeah. appreciate that. Uh, you know, I'm trying to give you a, a, just a, a, yeah, an overview here. Uh, in the world of the documentaries, of course, you know, uh, you're basically working uh, on a show-by-show -show basis. Uh, most people are not working for a company, per se. You're working for the show. And so, you know, it could be your role could be three months long or nine months or 12 months or 18 months, whatever the case may be, at the longest. And then you're on to the next project, and it's very kind of uh, um, uh, either you're starving or, or, or you're uh, doing well. Um, rags to riches kind of a world. Then um, I transitioned from that uh, to a company called Exodus, where it was an independent company that was making feature animation. And at the time, um, it was one of the few, if I would say maybe the first independent company, uh, that was able to actually get an animated feature film uh, into large numbers of theaters, large numbers of screens with major distribution, and that was Igor, um, which came out in 2008. You know, I don't know if you follow animation, but we were able to get a, a number of good uh, stars attached to, to do the the voice acting from John Cusack, Jay Leno, Eddie Izzard, uh, Sean Hayes, uh, Steve Buscemi, uh, so on and so forth. And that was distributed um, by uh, now the infamous Weinstein's, of course, <laughs> um, and, and by MGM. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I don't know. And, you know, so have, we were able to... way of changing things. Time has a way of changing things, doesn't it? Oh, my gosh, yeah. What, it certainly does. And, uh, you know, I don't want to badmouth people, but we didn't have a good experience there either. We were... Uh, mm. They were um, able to work the numbers so that, you know, everybody sitting behind them didn't receive a penny, <laughs> to be honest with you. But yeah. we were still very happy to be able to make an animated feature film with major stars, with multiple licensing deals, uh, with 250-plus uh, visual, um, uh, visual artists and animators involved in, in multiple countries, and get that out on time and at a, at a fraction of the cost. Um, you know, of what, uh, let's say, a studio like a Disney or a DreamWorks, Pixar, would have spent uh, on the same project. And and that model, of course, uh, I don't want to bore you too much with the minutia, but it was sort of based on uh, our ability to farm out some of the work overseas, as so many companies mm. and so many industries are having to do. Um, and that allowed us to, you know, make uh, Igor for... Uh, this is public information now, shared with about $25 million production budget, as opposed to 
what it might have cost was about $80 million had it all been done here. Um, and that, so that was a model that worked. And uh, since then, I actually went on to make a couple of more animated features on which I was a co-exec producer. Uh, one went to Netflix. It was uh, for very young kids. It was called The Hero of Color City, uh, basically about a box of crayons that come to life, <laughs> and, and really for uh, the preschool age. And also Bunyan and Dave, about, you know, the t Paul Bunyan tall tale from Minnesota. And that one went to uh, Amazon Prime. And now, very quickly, bringing us closer to the present, you know, uh, during the pandemic, I found myself, like so many people uh, around uh, the world, uh, out of work. And uh, it was, you know, our world has been fairly virtual anyway. But um, uh, basically all our projects went away. And, but it was an opportunity for me uh, also to sort of sit back. And, uh, I got onto social media for the first time, and it was both amazing and shocking. <laughs> and, and I realized you know, this is an opportunity to actually uh, take, take a, a few months and, and write something. Um, and, and it was very interesting for me because unlike the world that I had been in for a number of years, which was movies, uh, this didn't require a team effort. It didn't require raising large amounts of money or, you know, convincing studios and distributors and financiers and so on and so forth. It's basically you and uh, a keyboard. And um, so I actually found it very refreshing. And so I, I published a uh, a small book, both of them are small, but I have uh, a few others, several others coming out uh, in the next few months, hopefully. Uh, the first one being Dog Whistling Dixie, Past the Graveyard. You know, I like the short titles. And uh, and the second one, which came out this year, was a Mistake of Identity. And that also has a, a uh, subtitle called Midnight Musings and Twisted Tweets on Postmodern Identity. So that brings us uh, pretty much to the present. It sure does. It sure does. And um, I enjoyed going through and reading book books. And they're, you know, very unique. Oh, you did? Um, oh, God bless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, <laughs> so so we're going to get down to details. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. Let's start. I want to start with, I mean, now, Bob Whistling Dixie Patsy Grayberg was first. Um, and then was followed up with... By the way, I, I was um, just trying to give you an okay. overview, so if, if you need to jump into any of those things, feel free. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I appreciate that. And, and all of that information that you just gave us is exactly what I wanted the, the listeners to know. And, and you know, um, also, you know, on, on your webpage, they can, for the movie aspect, they can go to your IMDb um, page. Um, which you have a link on your on your website. Yeah, that's which is right. Really yeah, about. that's absolutely right. I would say, yeah. No, 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 thank you for saying that. In fact, if if someone is interested in the movie aspect, the the best one is actually IMDb. I, I think pretty much everyone knows about that site. It's the Internet Movie Database. It's owned by Amazon, and you can pretty much look up everyone involved in the film industry. And it, you can cross cross reference people. For example, you can put in a name of a, a movie and everybody who is associated with it, you can click on their name and see what they were associated with, it becomes a real rabbit hole, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. And, um, but it's a wonderful resource. So, you know, again, for everybody in, in film, I've had it sure is, yeah. um, guests over the years who, who have. So, anyway. Um, but, um, you know, again, the... the the first book was Dog Whistling, but, but uh, um, Mistake of Identity is second. But I want to talk, I want to start with identity. Um, and then, then we'll get to the table. Sure, sure. From, from the graveyard. Um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, you noticed that? I did. I did. And, and also knows the format of the book. And text and all of Not that. everyone and picks up on that little, uh, that little wordplay that well. Yeah, well, you know, and also the, you know, again, in the formatting of your book, I, what, what I have found is that when authors, um, 
use that kind of unique presentation, um, it, for me, it just serves as a, an immediate out-of-the-box Kind of, this is going to be out of the box. This is going to be different. What I'm going to be reading is going to be different from, yeah. you know, what else, what other things I've read. So, um, but anyway, those are things that I noticed. And, um, no, I think you're absolutely right. I'm, I, well, I'm glad that, uh, you know, I was, uh, that was my intent, I have to say. These are definitely non-traditional books. Or they're small books, but I have a number of them coming and and, uh, you know, it's not uh, about the, the size they say. <laughs> it's the quality over quantity, hopefully. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you know, I, I described them, um, if I can just say this about them to begin with, and this sort of applies to both maybe uh, as, as somewhere between poetry and a Zen koan and a 19th century aphorisms, and and modern postmodern or contemporary tweets, you know, <laughs> these are uh, easily digestible and um, uh, meant to, you know, uh, you, you could go through the whole thing in one sitting, but come back to it and maybe um, uh, discover something that you didn't see in it uh, the uh, in the previous time. Yeah, that's very much so. And also, you know, I mean, they're they're thought provoking or perspective shifting kinds of things so that um, what I noticed is, is that after mm-hmm. having read the books um, there will be times that I'll be out and about uh, maybe taking photos or something and you know one of one of those one of the ideas that, that you present kind of just runs through my head and it's like okay you know that's a different way of looking at really whatever I'm looking at at that moment yeah oh yeah and it's well I'm I so happy yeah. Okay. Well, well, so what I was going to say is, it's, you know, it's, it's a hell of a compliment. That's really what I was hoping, you know, uh, that the reader would take away from it. You know, they're meant to, because they're short musings, I call them in the title, um, you know, you can, you can read it at a surface level, and then, like you said, even with my figure, you know, I, I see things in them that I didn't. You know, sometimes these things come out of me, and, and only later do I discover that, oh, it could be read the other way as well, that there's potential multiple meanings there. And so, you know, it, it was meant to be both serious and playful at the same time. So I'm glad that you that you, uh, you noticed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, these are yeah, – and, and someone may get something totally different from it, you know, and, and I think that's the beauty of – um, of the information or the the, um, the images that that you conjure with your words that that it's you know really different you know it's a, it's a very subjective experience for people reading it you know they will have had some experience it will probably be different from anybody any other readers but they can identify with it so that, then it becomes useful um, I think you know, in, <laughs> no pun intended um, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I want to start with identity first. Um, you know, again, that was the second one, but there there are several areas in that that, that I thought that kind of I don't know this stood out that I thought with the listeners would enjoy with uh, finding out about. And first, before you do, um, I actually if I, I wanted to add mm-hmm. I wanted to add something here because you said something that was very interesting to me. You said that uh, you know different people can subjectively interpret these musings um, very differently. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, for example, you can say that about um, all books as opposed to movies, where everyone is sort of seeing the same movie because we're visually seeing the mm-hmm. same pictures, moving pictures in front of us. But with a book, no one is reading exactly the same book because we're imagining it. And so that probably applies even more so here because it's so, um, you know, paradoxical and, and part prose and part poetry. So I could, I, I am not, I wouldn't be surprised, as you said, that two people could come away with very different uh, understandings and even opinions uh, uh, of it and about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. You know, with, with that in mind, it really becomes just, um, it, it becomes a, a useful personal tool. Now, 
identity, the mistake of identity. Why did you choose that title? Well, of course, it's a bit of a, a word play on mistaken identity, but it's a mistake <laughs> of, you know, I, because I've, I've realized both through my personal study of philosophy and my personal ethnic background being mixed. I'm an immigrant from Iran and I'm an Iranian, uh, Canadian, American, and I've lived in uh, many more places than that. Um, and, of course, my professional background, too, seeing on the negative side, on the human rights side, what identity can do when it's, when it's, when it's looked at the wrong way, when it's understood the wrong way, when it's, uh, uh, when it takes over us uh, in an unhealthy way. It can lead to things as serious as, you know, ethnic cleansing and, and war and genocide and so on and so forth. And then even in the world of Hollywood, which you would think is the polar opposite of that, uh, you know, it still plays a large part. Hollywood creates identities. It uh, suppresses some identities. It advocates for other identities. It builds identities. Uh, and it sells us identities through the star system where, you know, we're all essentially in some sort of Freudian way, Freudian projection, we are identifying with the star on the screen. Um, and so, you know, in every aspect of my life, it's, I found that it's, a, it's central. Identity is central. And the book is not meant to negate its centrality or its power or to say that it's bad or it's good. I really actually believe that it's similar to fire in a way where it's absolutely necessary, it's, it, it, it gives us uh, power and energy, it fuels art and culture. I participate in identity politics myself, and I think in, in, if it's done the right way, it's not only legitimate, it's uh, unavoidable. And it may even be ingrained in us at a biological or genetic level. Uh, even, you know, before there were humans and before there were primates, species uh, compete with each other based on uh, uh, an unconscious form of what we now would call identity. Uh, so I, I certainly don't think that it's something that can be taken on head on. But, you know, I play with the idea that perhaps there is a way to participate in all that and yet not really identify with our identity in such a serious way. And the book explores that paradox. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah the, the book explores the, the, the paradoxes inherent in that, um, that we all feel it so strongly, and, and how can we play this game and get all the benefits of, the, of, of playing this game without um, having that fire, uh, to use that same analogy again, burn the, burn the world down, because like fire, it also has the potential to, to really um, uh, burn everything down and, and destroy us if we, if we don't know how to use it correctly. Um, there's a kind of Buddhism, in fact, that, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, called Soka Gakkai, that's uh, fairly popular here on the West Coast where I live in Los Angeles. And... Um, it's, it, at first, you know, it seemed to me when I learned about it that, and I'm not a follower of it, I'm just, uh, I just, I'm aware of, of the basic tenets, that rather than try to deny our desire for things, why don't we just give in to it? And by giving it to it fully, it takes its power away in a way. And we're now playing it rather than being played by, by desire. Same thing, I think, can be applied to identity. If you try to deny that you, that you identify, or I, I'll use myself, that I identify with my ethnicity or my gender or my nationality or you know, even my region or geography head on, I think we'll be lying to ourselves. But um, if there is a way to participate in all that and yet know in your heart of hearts everybody should have that twinkle in the eye, as I put it, um, in, in mistake of identity, I believe, uh, that says, you know that I know, that you know that I know, that ultimately we're playing a game here, that we didn't choose to be born into this particular body or in this geography or into this nation or into this gender. 
And if we can play the game and, and yet still have that twinkle in the eye, we'll be all right. But I think people forget. Uh, in fact, uh, I know I'm going on and on about this, but I think one analogy uh, from sports uh, that I'd like to use that I think is actually helpful, even though I'm not much of a sports fan myself, I do see that people identify with the team, and even the players on that team get all the benefits of identifying with a particular team um, and giving it their all and competing with the other teams. Um, but at the same time, usually at least, <laughs> most people, if they're healthy, they don't confuse it with their fundamental self, their consciousness or their soul, if you want to use that religious terminology. They know that, you know, tomorrow they can be traded to another team. But ultimately, it is just a jersey. But when it comes to these other things that we also didn't choose, like race or gender or sex or nationality, we do get confused. We do take it so seriously that we go from competing in a healthy sportsman-like manner to to actually, you know, going to war uh, at, at its extreme mm. extent. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it does. It does. You know, very much. And, and uh, you know, that your your reasoning and your example um, to me, you know, just illustrates that you know uh, when it comes to identity, there you know is, is that double edged sword. There is that good side. There is that ability to um, to help define self as being you know um, a component of all of these different types of. Um, Groupings or, you know, uh, identifiers. Um, groupism. But yeah, then yeah. there is, yeah, yeah. groupism. And, and, um, but then there's also that, uh, the downside to it of, of, um, just, uh, I think you, you said it was, you know, recognizing or not having the, um, the identity recognizing as being not, you're like the football one, you know, that's, that, you know, you can root for that team. That it's not your fundamental that team, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's, that, that's exactly right, that it's not your fundamental self. So, for example, you know, um, this is going to take a minute to, 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 to give you this example, if you don't mind, but, you know, this what I'm talking about in these books is something that, you know, mystics have, have talked about forever. These are not new ideas in that way. But what I'm trying to do is, inject these ideas into our social, actual practical life and into our, into our politics to some extent and show, you know, how bizarre the whole thing really is. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I, I, it's not meant to be right-wing or left-wing. In fact, uh, as you probably would agree with me because you've read the books, there are uh, musings in these books that are, that could be taken by someone uh, who considers themselves right-wing um, or left-wing, and and some of them probably will piss off both sides, <laughs> depending on how they interpret it. But I think that's really because uh, our our society is confused. You know, we, we if you put it the, a certain way, if you say that you are not your nationality, you are not your body, so on and so forth. Well, people sort of get that. That's, it seems like an obvious truism, but we don't act that way. We act as if we are, you know. At the same time, we say America first. I don't mean to pick on America, just any country, every country says that. And, and so my question is, well, yeah, and my question is if, if, if I don't know an individual or there's a stranger in Milwaukee, and there's a stranger in Zimbabwe, why should they have different values to me? Isn't the person a person? So when you put it that way, everyone says, yeah, that's true. But in reality, we do give more value to the one in our own country. <laughs> and I could give a thousand mm-hmm. examples like that, right? And, and everyone does it. So we're very schizophrenic when it comes to identity. One distinction that I, that I have sort of made and I allude to uh, in parts of these books is that there is, you know, there's legitimate discrimination, there's illegitimate discrimination. So, you know, you're looking for a good pilot, uh, it's good to discriminate against the ones that are not good pilots. <laughs> you want the guy to be good at what he does. Uh, 
But if it's a discrimination based on an arbitrary characteristic, meaning a characteristic that shouldn't matter, that's irrelevant, like race, you know, for example, then that's the problem, right? But these things become confused with each other. They become conflated with each other. Uh, same with, you know, culture and religion. I'm a big advocate that for some cultures over others. I'm not one of these hippies who says that everyone is equal, all cultures are equal. No. You know, as long as you define what you mean by better or worse, certainly certain cultures produce more freedom, let's say, or more equality, or more you know, productivity, or more happiness, or so on and so forth. You just have to define what you mean on certain cultures, because cultures are just like apps, right? They're programs. They're less. Um Whereas, you know, biology is, is the hardware. <laughs> uh, the culture is the software, and it's constantly evolving, and anyone can, from any race can take part in it. It's not, it's not restricted to race or nationality. It's something that's taught. And, and so I'm a big advocate for cultures competing with each other. I'm a big um, proponent of certain cultures over others. But the problem is it becomes conflated or confused with something that's unchosen, like race, right? So now, mm -hmm. if you say I'm a black man and this is my culture, well, do you really like that culture because you have studied all the cultures in the world? I'm using that as you that, and you've made a, a rational decision, or is it simply because you were born into it? Same thing could be said for white people. You know, you know, every, so, again, it's, it's not meant to pick on any particular person. Um, and it's very difficult to, to answer that honestly, because how many people who say they're Muslims or Jews or, or Christians have actually even opened up the holy book of their religion and read it? I would say probably the majority have not. Um, and yet they identify with it because when they say I'm a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew, it's not it's not so much the the belief system, it's the identity. It's the, I was born into a family that's that people around me are that. You see? And so when that conflation occurs, that 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 confusion between these different senses of identity, then we can get into serious trouble. And it becomes a a, a tangled knot that's difficult to unravel. So which is the legitimate, you know, choice, which I'm all for, and which is, mm -hmm. well, it's just good because that's my team, <laughs> right? Uh, good or yeah. bad. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, if, if we're going to pick, do that, if we're going to you know, pick something because simply because it's our team, then, then let's stick to sports, you know, because at least it, it, it's not going to lead to war, right? Let's, let's channel that energy into something like that. But if it's a legitimate choice that you say, I'm a Christian because I study these different religions and I believe this to be the truth, that to me is a legitimate, uh, I don't call that groupism, that's a legitimate difference. And you may be right or wrong, but you have a right to, you know, but most people don't um, to, uh, unravel again. Am I for this because I was born into it or am I for it? Because I actually believe in it. Yeah, exactly. As a matter of fact, there were a couple um, of uh, entries, you know, uh, Midnight Musings, Twisted Tweets, um, that kind of apply to exactly what we were talking about. The, the one thing you talked about, religion, and then I really, I had this one marked down because I, I liked it, um, and it said, and, and why is it that you should respect my religion when my religion doesn't respect you? And I thought, oh. Now, that kind of really gets to the, <laughs> the heart I of forgot about that one. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, and yeah. I wrote these things, but I, I haven't read them in a while. <laughs> well, I understand. Um, yes. You have yeah, no, that's a lot right. of different entries. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then the, the other yeah, one no, has right. to do with... You know, in the case yeah. of... In, in the case of uh, religion, um, I'm a... I'm not one of those people who thinks that religions need to be respected simply because they exist. To me, and here's where, you know, people who imagine that these are sort of hippie books are going to be shocked because they're not. <laughs> uh, I think religions are just ideas, just like secular ideas, and they should be open to criticism, to ridicule, to challenge, just like any other idea. So, 
the fact that you have, you know, faith in something is you have the right to have that faith. For sure, that should be respected. Your right to believe in something should be respected. But that doesn't mean the content of what you believe should be respected. You know, that, right. that, is, exactly. that is up to criticism just like any other idea. And, and, and so for me, the, the notion that just because, you know, it was written in a book written by half-barbarous, um, you know, Bronze Age uh, nomads in the Middle East, somehow it makes it respectable, uh, I don't think so. Um, yeah. So, so I agree. I'm all for respecting yeah. the person. You know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. All for respecting the person. Because people uh, make mistakes, people can see, have different perspectives, and whether you agree with them or not, um, it's just a, a basic uh, norm and rule uh, necessity of civilization that we need to respect each other's choices to have the, the choice. But it doesn't mean we need to agree with or respect the content of that choice. Absolutely not. Because if that were the case, then you know, Nazis would be equal to the Amish. Well, it's just their culture, you know. <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, well Gary, sir, I want to take this. I'm not a cultural relativist. Um, let's, let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, I want to take a quick break, um, and then when we come back, I want to kind of, I want to take a closer look at that, uh, the individualism and groupism. And, and kind of how they sure. okay okay everyone stay tuned we'll be right back at the hello this is Robert Sharp I want to thank you for joining us and I hope that you are enjoying today's show just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website whiteradio.me there is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, the 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us. Again today, my special guest is A. Darius Kamali, and we're talking about his life work as well as his new book, Mistake of Identity and Dog Whistling Dixie Past the Graveyard. And again, you can find out more by visiting Darius's website, which is DariusAKamali.com, and that's D-A-R-I-U-S-A-K-A-M-A-L-I.com. And on that website, you'll be able to find out, um, there's a link to his IMDB page, find out about his somewhere, also links to um, NGOs, travelers, and much more. So with that, we're back, Darius. Hi there. Hello there. Great. So um, I want to... There, there were a couple of those midnight musings um, that um, stood out uh, to me when talking about identity um, and, and group identity and also individual identity. And, and one, one of the musings was, what if it turns out that by putting group identity above the individual that you're still half asleep? You know, and then you use the hashtag wake up walk. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> tell tell us about. I mean, I think we've seen an awful lot of this going on, and right now, I mean, I don't ever remember, you know, it being so group um, identification being so strong and um, to, to overwhelm individual common sense sometimes. 
Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. It, it seems to be, you know, certainly, you know, I'm not sure if it's stronger than before. You know, my belief is that it's always been with us. Um, it's a part of our, again, not only every culture, but even our biology, I would say. So it's it's something, that's why I don't think that it can be taken on head on. That you sort of have to play a sort of a mental judo with it, where you try to use its force against it and, and play with it. Uh, because it has so many positive aspects, and um, you know it, it fuels so much creativity, uh, competition. Um, but at the same time, again, like fire or the double-edged sword that you mentioned, it um, it needs to be handled very carefully. And yeah, you're right. Um, you know, when it comes to individual identity versus uh, group identity. Uh, certainly, these things are are complicated. So again, if it's a if, if there's a group of people, in my opinion, who believe in a certain ideology because, again, they've studied uh, the various ideologies and they've come to the conclusion this is the correct one, well, that's a sort of a group based on a shared idea. And that, to me, is actually the most legitimate type because you've chosen it. Uh, somewhat less legitimate, but still, you know, we all have it, we all feel it, is one based on the accident of birth. Right, so something arbitrary, mm. I would say. And again, these things get completed. Uh, I I like to uh, talk about something that uh, I read a, a long time ago. It was a, I don't know if it was a, a, a Zen Cohen or something like that. It's certainly from Eastern literature uh, that talks about uh, how we just in our language as people, and this applies basically to all languages. Uh, we say that I have a, a body. We don't say I am a body. Uh, we use have rather than am, which implies that we know that the body is something separate from from us that we actually possess, that we have. Well, that's easy enough to understand, but let's take it further. We also say I have a brain, which implies just in our grammar that we intuitively understand that the I is not the brain. It's something that has the brain. <laughs> um, we don't say I am a brain. Um, and it gets even weirder when you say I have a mind because aren't you supposed to be the mind? But in our grammar, again, we intuitively separate that fundamental I even from the mind. So who is, what is this I that has the mind if it's not the mind itself? And I would say that I that has these things, that possesses these things, the body, the brain, and the mind, it, that's the fundamental self. <laughs> and that fundamental self is exactly the same, identical, identical in you as it is in me. When you say I have a brain, it's the same, per, same consciousness saying I have. Now, your particular memories are different, your body is different, your experience is different, your brain is different, so on and so forth. But that subjectiveness that has all these things is exactly the same in all of us. And that's sort of a mystic notion. So you either sort of it hits you at some point or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And once you see that, then the rest of these games, you begin to see how, how, many, how they're just simply layers of games that we're playing. And once you see it, you can actually continue to play the game, but, but you know, have that twinkle in the eye, that wink and, and nudge that, that, you know, we're just playing the game, right? That tomorrow uh, it could be turned around. And another example that I use is, you know, when it comes to our politics, you, you, you correctly mentioned that it seems to, identity seems to be everywhere these days. I think unless this basic mystic notion is not understood, that ultimately we'll be playing a game of musical chairs. Uh, I don't know if anyone plays that game anymore, but we played it when I was a kid. Essentially, uh, people are fighting for, there's, there's too few chairs for the number of people. They're fighting for a place to sit. And my solution is, hey, why don't we just add a couple more chairs, guys, <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of worrying about uh -huh. it, is it the people with the blue mask that <laughs> they get to sit down now, or is it the people with the red mask that get to sit down now? Right. And that seems to be right. what we're doing in our society right now is worrying too much about the masks rather than understand that, if two people are still left standing, even if it's the white people now or the black people now, you haven't really solved anything. <laughs> um, 
right. so that uh, seems counterintuitive on its face. It, it does, and you know, and like you say, you know, add, add more chairs or just look around and you know, see, see if there's anything else. To sell, you know, and and why does it have to be those chairs? That, that, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, exactly. There exactly. Many different. Yeah, ways. I think I say in the mistake of identity that we're playing we're playing musical chairs on the deck of the Titanic, <laughs> not realizing that the whole <laughs> ship is sinking. <laughs> um, and and so you know, I, I agree with you that it's. It's, it's everywhere. I don't know if it's worse than before, but it's certainly not better. And uh, maybe we're more aware of it. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're down to six minutes here. Um, there we go. So I, I wanted to just talk a little bit about it. quickly. Um, <laughs> Doc Wilson. Yeah, I know it did. Um, Doc Wilson and Dixie passed the graveyard. Got to admit that's an attention-getting title. <laughs> so can do Tell us why you chose that. Well, you know, I, I like wordplay, honestly, and uh, mm -hmm. and you know, the, the I think it has three different uh, <laughs> uh, connotations. You know, there's there's dog whistling, you know, the, the dog whistle, which mm -hmm. comes, and there's you know, whistling Dixie, which has a slightly different meaning, and then there's whistling past the graveyard. So I just thought that when it came to me that. It uh, sort of summarizes um, a lot of what our culture have, is going through right now, both at a social and a political level. And I thought it was a cute title, so. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is a good one. And as well as I have truly, in 12 years, never seen a table of contents labeled table of this contents or contents. Um, <laughs> this contents. Um, that was very creative, <laughs> very creative, and I, you know, I like that. And it also does set the stage for what the follow. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, you know, as you said that, I wonder now. It just, it just occurred to me that I think Freud had a book called uh, Civilization and Its Discontent. So maybe that was in the back of my head. I'm not sure, but we, we, we certainly are not. Uh, we seems to be a society of, of discontents right now. So in that sense, I think it's pretty fitting. So. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it, you know, I think, I think, I think that first book, uh, which was Douglas and Dixie Pat the Graveyard, is a slightly darker, perhaps, in its tone than Mistake of Identity, but, um, there's actually a third one coming out, which I'll mention, um, for the audience, uh, hopefully over the course of the next uh, two to three months, uh, and that might, uh, conclude this trilogy here, um, which uh, will also be, you know, short parables, um, maybe a little bit longer, but uh, again, uh, essentially dealing with the themes of identity, identity politics, uh, woke culture, um, uh, political correctness or incorrectness, as as, as you have it, um, and so on and so forth, and free speech. And so, uh, I'll, maybe I'll we'll have to do this conversation again. Uh, the name of uh, the working title, I should say, of that book is going to be Cognitive uh, Dissidence. And so that might uh, conclude the trilogy when that um, is released uh, in the next couple of, couple of months. Um, is that this incident? <laughs> As in this uh, No, so it's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's also a place. You know, the, the normal phrase is uh, cognitive dissonance. But this one is dissidence, as in uh, political dissidence. There you go. Yeah. Perfect. So, you know, uh, I think the wordplay is uh, something that comes naturally to me, and you'll find it not only in the titles, but throughout uh, the books themselves. Yeah, very much so. And I, I love wordplay, too. As a matter of fact, um, after reading uh, Dog Wrestling, generally speaking, <laughs> the word generally it's going to take on a, a different meaning for me because you had that one <clears throat> entry about the most special generality. I'm talking about um, you know, how, um, <laughs> yeah. the, the difference between generality and generalizations. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, we tend to um, dismiss generalizations as something else. And, you know, I, th I think it's a mistaken of identity that I point out. But generalizations are true. As long as you understand them generally, you know, it's, uh, they're not meant to be specific, um, but they, they tend to have uh, almost always a grain of, of cultural truth hidden within them. So, 
Uh, not to be dismissed, you know, even old wives' tales, as they say, tend to have some, some element of truth in them. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I look, we're connected on, on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining me there. And, um, and I did notice on your webpage that, uh, you've uh, been editing the manuscript for your first novel, Bitho Philosophical Fantasy, um, right down my alley. I love that kind of, uh, oh. So I'm looking forward to, to finding out. Absolutely. Uh, like, uh, since you brought it up, I'll mention that as well. Yeah, that that one is actually a, a more traditional uh, um, novel or trilogy that who knows, maybe uh, if it does well, could be turned into a, a book. That one is uh, called A Revolving uh, 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 Tale. Uh, and, and the first one, um, since you brought it up, I'll mention it, uh, is called the microscope, the telescope, and the distance between. So uh, again, maybe we'll have to have another conversation with that. Well, that sounds great. I, 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 I love uh, the wordplay and the um, thought-provoking um, images, or, or you know, the thoughts that are generated from from your from reading your work. So. I, I love it. You know, it's great. So I really want to thank you for your time. Thank you very today. much. Uh, I thank you for your interest and thank you for your kind words. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Great. Thank you very much. Um, again, everyone, today my special guest has been A. Darius Kamali. We've been talking about his last work as well as his two new books, Mistake of Identity and Dog Whistling Dixie Past the Graveyard. Again, you can find out more about the Zadidis website, which is www.dariusakamali.com, and that's D-A-R-I-U-S-A-K-A-M-A-L-I.com. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Our Show, and until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth Show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit brightradio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BrightRadioMe. Until we meet again... Remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.